Hey, we're back again. The second full episode of 2022. I'm Dr. Rick. And I'm Dr. Danny. Welcome back, guys. So today we're going to be talking kind of in line with the last episode, but expanding it a little more broadly, cancer prevention. That's right, Rick. But before we get into that, do you want another dad joke? Well, I know the answer, but Brenna does. Want and have to listen to are two very different things. All right, all right. I thought the first episode joke was was spot on. How about you, Brenna? I liked it. Yeah, okay. Hmm, you're going to have to cut this because I'm looking. Sure. I didn't come prepared, guys. I'm sorry. Do, 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 do. Find a nickel for every. Do, 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 do. Well, we were just talking about golf, weren't we, Rick? Why do fathers take an extra pair of socks when they go golfing? Got me. In case they get a hole in one. <laughs> that is a dad joke on so Boom. many levels. There it is. That was a good one. <laughs> Thank you. That's really All good. All right, onward we go here. <laughs> oh. All right. Well, this is Cancer Prevention Month, right, Rick? It is? I think so. That's what Brenna tells us. He got that. I didn't even have to write it on a script. No. Nope. Oh, nice. So February mm-hmm. is Cancer Prevention <laughs> it Month. It does say Cancer mm-hmm. Prevention Month. So, like, in globally, yeah. Cancer Prevention Month? That's what the website tells me. Hmm. What website? Um, www.brennafacts.com? No. <laughs> Rude. Well, I think it's a very you know, common question that comes up either. Cancer Awareness Month's calendar and ribbon colors. Hmm. Sir. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, common question that comes up with patients undergoing treatment, meaning how can I prevent my cancer from getting worse or... You know, we're going to be talking about some preventative measures just to prevent cancer in the first place. Um, so what are, you know, we can, I'm not going to list off every single detail here, but I think n- number one is, um, you know, and this has been around a long time, these campaigns to try to uh, get people to stop smoking, right, Rick? Tobacco use is, is definitely linked with a variety of cancers, lung cancer being the, the front and center. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think tobacco is, um, you know, thankfully now should be relatively common knowledge that it's bad for you, bad for you and linked to just about every, every type of cancer under the sun, as you mentioned, from throat and mouth cancer, all the way down Mm -hmm. through the lungs to the GI tract, all the way out to the bladder Bladder, and beyond. So uh, I think if people wanted to say, what is the one modifiable thing they can do in their lives to reduce their risk of developing a cancer it's definitely to don't don't use tobacco and that includes cigars cigarettes chewing tobacco all of it has that increased risk of of malignancy and i think it's it's you know any kind of long-term exposure too i think you know there's a risk of five years exposure 10 years exposure 50 years exposure so um, the sooner you, if you are a user of a tobacco product, the sooner you quit, the better. Um, you know, in terms of. So uh, no, I was gonna say no. I was gonna say so. The the question I most not most often, but I get a lot is, well, I already you know for patients who already have cancer, well, I already have cancer. Why yeah. would I stop smoking? So mm-hmm. the you kind of were touching on it, but really there's um, evidence now that. Within 48 hours after your last cigarette, your lungs already start to heal. So your um, 
the alveoli, which are the cells inside your lungs at the, at the molecular level that exchange oxygen and give oxygen to your body, actually start to heal and improve within 48 hours after your last cigarette. So there's a quick improvement, even out of the gate. Secondly, in folks who have cancer and are undergoing treatment, when you don't smoke, your risk of side effects is lower. So there's d studies and data out there showing side effect risk is higher for folks who continue to smoke. And then, of course, for folks who don't have cancer who maybe smoke, they say, well, why would I stop? I've already been smoking. And as you mentioned, it's a cumulative risk. So if you smoke for 10 years, is better than smoking for 15, is better than smoking for 20. So mm -hmm. at any point when you can stop is an improvement in your odds mm -hmm. uh, of not developing a cancer. So it's never too late. And it sounds cliche, but it really is never too late to quit. And it's not easy. There's a reason these tobacco companies have made as much money as they have, is it's mm -hmm. a very addictive product. So no one expects anyone to do it just because we tell you to. It's a, it's a process that's different for everybody, but it's something that, you know, in the back of your mind, really, if you are a smoker, should be something you should be at least strongly considering, you know, stopping. Yeah. And I think we talk with patients on, on multiple occasions about this. I know primary care doctors are very involved in trying to, uh, you know, have programs for smoking cessation. When we see patients, we try to reiterate those uh, benefits of quitting and offer patients nicotine replacement, offer them Chantix, offer them a variety of other options to try to get them to quit. Um, you know, and on a on a separate note, you know, when patients quit smoking, they improve lung function. We see a lot, actually, like you mentioned, Rick, when patients are smoking during or after treatment, I see a lot more patients have issues with hospitalizations, pneumonias, exacerbations of their, you know, asthma, COPD. So it's, it's uh, definitely beneficial to stay out of the hospitals, um, you know, overall just have a healthier uh, outlook on life. Um, what is your view on uh, vaping? Do you get patients asking you about vaping and yeah, I get, as far as an alternative to tobacco use? Yeah, I get that occasionally. I mean, I think yeah. the, the data is still being accumulated. Um, you know, I think in general, it's probably true that vaping is probably better than a cigarette. Mm -hmm. But um, I think if you ask me, do I think vaping is going to prove to be that much better than a cigarette? Probably not. I think it's right. just going to have an increased risk of, you know, lung disorders, cancers, the same things, maybe not quite to the extent of, mm -hmm. uh, you know, an open cigar or cigarette. But I think if it's a way for people to transition to hopefully quitting, I think it's mm -hmm. reasonable. But I don't think it's something I would ever routinely at this point recommend or, or think is a sort of a, you know, a guilty free way of, mm -hmm. of, of smoking. I, I see know, it more, you've... you know, I see more people doing it as a substitute yeah. rather than a bridge to quitting, which I think it should be used more as a bridge to quitting. Right. Not just a substitute and say, I'm going to vape for the rest of my life now. You know? Right. And, the, so. you know, there's there's impurities in those two, just like there's impurities in cigarettes and cigars. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of, I don't know, it feels, it feels very, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul kind of yeah. trade. Well, there was a lot of news when those young kids were getting that, inflammatory kind of lung change that led led to hospitalizations i think even led to some deaths uh from you know vaping certain oils that ended up causing damage to the lungs so yeah this stuff isn't without risk for sure so and then of course you know healthy diet that's another 
big preventative measure for, for cancers. Um, we've had our, our talk with our esteemed dietitian here and we talked about, you know, diets that we can do to uh, promote healthy lifestyle and hopefully, you know, help patients through their journey. But as far as a preventative, um, I usually tell patients the, the fresher the foods, the better, you know, pick up lots of fruits and veggies. Um, lean meats, you know, um, you don't have to cut out red meats completely, but limit them in your diet. Um, I think eliminating processed foods is, is key. You know, those lunch meats, those uh, packaged meals, um, you know, going more toward cooking something yourself on a skillet with fresh foods is the way to go. How do you advise your patients, Rick? Yeah, I mean, I think similarly, um, I think that... <laughs> You know, shopping at the periphery of the grocery store is what makes the most sense. That's where usually the, you know, fruits yeah. and vegetables are that are actually, you know, picked out of the ground and not, you know, in a box with, you know, a cardboard box that's been sealed up and sitting there for who knows how long. I think, mm -hmm. you know, that to your point about, you know, avoiding processed foods. You know, I think the, we touched on it with our dietitian, but we also touched on episode, but also we touched on it in our, um, uh, early, some earlier episodes that, you know, there's a rising rate of um, colorectal cancer in younger mm -hmm. people. Um, and, you know, there's a, not really a clear signal at this time as to why that's happening. Mm -hmm. But I bet you, you know, dollars of donuts 15, 20 years from now when they go back and look, I bet a lot of it's going to come back to being linked to these process, some of these processed foods and how our diets changed in the last 20, 30 years to be now we're we don't really eat fresh food anymore. We eat mm -hmm. a lot of processed food. So I bet you a lot of that's going to come back to just a guess, but just, you know, I think there's going to be some link there. Mm -hmm. um, Actually, on a side note, just saw an article about antibiotic use and, and colon cancer risks. So and, and, there's and a it, lot of different things. And out I there. You yeah. believe that too. I mean, yeah. I, you, you take an antibiotic, you wipe your gut flora. That can't mm -hmm. be good for you. I mean, your right. the f gut flora is there is not only a, it's an immune immune modulator, right? right. I mean, right. It, it it literally gives us you know some protection in our immune system and having a you know good flora. And there's you know there's actually very very cutting edge data where they do fecal transplants in cancer, and they right. see that you know that it can sometimes help prevent. I mean, it's already used in infection, in, you know, mm -hmm. C diff and things like that. But mm -hmm. so it's I think it's very complex, and mm -hmm. I think it's. Um, you know, there's not going to be a silver bullet with diet that's like you can't, there's never going to be, right. you take this supplement or you eat this kind of food and you're going to prevent cancer. That's not going mm -hmm. to be the case. But I think it's a big picture of, generally speaking, the things you're eating, you know, the more fresh and less processed they are, the better. Um, and I think, you know, uh, do you find that the patients that ask you about food, do you find any common similarities between them in terms of, you know, patients that are more likely to take an active role in their health versus those mm -hmm. who are not, or those of more means maybe who are asking versus those who maybe unfortunately are not, you know, don't have the resources available to help them. How do you, you know, I think that's just, a good point. I, I think there is, you know, if we look back at our patients and see which ones actually question what diet changes they can make and, and how they can adjust things. Um, it is probably coming from a group of patients with more means, more, uh, access to maybe paying for more high cost, you know, foods, which tend to be the fresher foods. So, um, you know, I think, you know, we have, 
we have data that um, shows that you know dietary changes with the addition of regular exercise can really benefit a patient during their cancer treatment. Um, can be a preventative measure for recurrent breast cancer, you know, and and other cancers. So, um, I'm I'm very much an advocate to encourage exercise during treatment, and it is a preventative measure for cancers if you can limit um, central obesity and you can keep your your weight under control and your um, and and you're eating a balanced diet. I think that's that's key, one key measure you can do to, to prevent cancers from forming as well as cardiovascular disease. So, um, but I, yeah, I think we, and I have been thinking a lot that we, I should, we should take more of an active role in trying to address this with all patients, whether they bring it up or not, you know, and, and I think we get, and I know I'm guilty of this, we get stuck in our you know, counseling and, and talking about treatment and talking about a variety of things, but we don't spend enough time on uh, asking them about what are you what are you eating? You know, what tell me about uh, you know your your dietary uh, you know intake over the, over the week and and how we can make an impact in their uh, in their diet. You know, yeah, I think you know one of the things I like about us here at Cancer Specialists in North Florida is you know having those nutritionists in house is mm-hmm. very helpful. You know, because they have yeah. more time, obviously, to spend and go through those in detail. So yeah. that's nice. And then, you know, from what I do with radiation, you know, depending on what we're treating or how it's going, you know, I, I see patients weekly during treatment. So I get a chance to kind of, you know, not every visit we're going to be talking about the treatment. Sometimes it's just, you know, you're just chit-chatting. And so these right. things can come up and, you know, it's a good time to kind of interject that information and, and let right. them know. But to your point about weight, I think... Um, let's just be brutally honest this country has an obesity problem um it's very hard to talk about because people don't like talking about it mm-hmm. and i you know it's a very personal thing um weight and 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 obesity and talking about other people's mm-hmm. weight and obesity but the truth of the matter is we are a fat country and we are fatter than almost every country in the world and it's a combination of how we live. You know, we're a very not an active population as a whole. We are blessed to live in a country where we have plenty, for most people, have plenty of food and high-calorie, cheap foods available to us mm-hmm. that taste delicious and are very, very hard to not eat a mm-hmm. lot of. Right. So we're a product of our own success in the sense that you live in this environment where, you know, for millions of years, food was scarce and your body's learned to extract all the nutrients out of food because you didn't know when you were going to get your next meal. Right. And now we live in a world where, you know, there's 8 million options, you know, on your phone that can be delivered right to your couch Everything without you having access. Right, right. It's just, it's, 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 right. yeah. our, our human brains aren't smart enough to <laughs> have adapted to figure out you know, how to deal with it. So it's a struggle for everyone. And I, and I think whether you're in shape, out of shape, underweight, overweight, perfect weight, I think everyone's constantly yeah. fighting it um, because you're being bombarded by, by it all the time, you know, advertisements and just the plentifulness of what's around us. So yeah, for sure. The way I view it is I never view it as like a personal failure on people who, you know, can't, you know, want to lose weight and can't, or they're overweight and they're thinking mm-hmm. about, you know, it's never that but 
I think just some people don't. They get in a rut of, well, this is how who I am, or I can't change, or this, you know. And so I think some of it is there has to be a internal push, mm-hmm. or else, you know, no amount of external pressure is going to make somebody, yeah, you know, develop that right lifestyle. I don't know. It's kind of a little more philosophical than than no, objective, I think, but I think you're spot on. I mean, I think there is a a turning point where the obesity gets to a point where it starts affecting your functional, you know, status and your ability to, to do simple things like walk a mile, you know? And I think when the obesity starts to get to a point where, um, you know, you're sitting more than you're up and moving about because it's painful to walk or it's, you know, it just not, you're not able to, it's, it's tough. So I think you have to address it early. If you, if you see these weight changes where, you know, 20 pounds here, 20 pounds there. I mean, I think earlier the better, you know, because you get to a point where you have so much weight on, it affects all kinds of bodily function and your joints start to wear out. And Well, I think it's, yes, I mean, know, it's most, the above. it's most, um, yeah. I mean, lack of a better word, it's kind of the saddest when you see young children who are just morbidly obese mm-hmm. because you know it's, they're starting life out behind the eight ball. Because they're gonna For have sure. they're gonna have chronic issues, and yeah. like you said, the longer you have it, the more likely you're gonna have all these things. Not mm-hmm. just cancer, of course, but everything else that goes along with it. And you know, we talked a little bit on our nutrition episode about ways to lose weight and all these different things. Mm-hmm. And again, there's just not gonna be a magic bullet. What no. works what works for someone to lose weight may not work for somebody else. You know, I think diets and the concept of diets is. Um, you know, for the vast majority of people, not going to work because no. you, it's hard to adhere to. You're constantly thinking about it. You're you're restricting yourself. So it, it really has to come from a change that you, internally where mm-hmm. you want to make that change and you're not, you know, constantly feel like you're fighting this war you can't ever win. Yeah. And for some people, what works is different. You know, some people it's fasting. Some people it's more exercise. Some people it's just changing the diet, but, you know, making it where it's not this like penalty and all that, I mm-hmm. think is, um, you know, I think most more people find success that way than they do using the ways of like, I can only have like foods from this, you know, small geographic country mm-hmm. and foods that end in Y on a Wednesday and I can only have like three bites and that's or, all I can eat all day yeah. or what, whatever. Or this, excluding a lot right. of, you know, food groups. Just not, it's not like realistic. Yeah. It's just not realistic. But yeah. I think um, portion control is key. You know, I mean, if you, if you just took, you know, what portion of food are you eating meal to meal and you, you reduce that to a certain degree. Uh, but the problem there is you're, you're getting to a point where the hunger may, may set yeah, I think, in too much. And, I'll just say from personal experience, yeah. that's my biggest problem is, yeah. is, is portion control. Right. Whereas like if I, if there's food in front of me, I'm eating what's in front of me, whether yeah. it's like a half portion, a full portion or five portions. And you go to the cheesecake factory, you have two portions. Right. In front of you. Well, so yeah. the, the, that's my problem is I don't have the, I don't I have feel the, like I fail if I don't eat. <laughs> I don't have the, uh, my brain doesn't have the governor to tell me to stop. But right. what's, right. what's interesting is yeah. you get older, at least I've learned if I, take that what I thought was a half portion and stop, right. I'm full. Oh, yeah. And I'm yeah. not hungry. And I don't want anymore. <laughs> but I just can't have it in front of me. Yeah. So, like, I'm the kind of person where, like, if we buy something at a grocery store and it's at my house, I'm eating it because I know it's there. 
If it's not there, I don't miss it. I don't care. I'm totally fine. But if it's there, I'm eating it. That's a great point. I think if you force yourself not to buy things that are not good for you right. to have at but, the house. But, but, but that's what I was saying. Everyone's yeah. different. Like my yeah. wife, yeah. we can have all the horrible foods in the closet in right. the world. And she's, she's not tempted. She'll have yeah. her portion and be fine. Yeah. I'm not like that. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I know it's there. I'm going to have the whole bag or I'm going to have whatever. There's a brownie on the counter. You're going to eat it. Yeah. So, so that's... You just got to know your, the reason I say that is you just have to kind of know right. who you are and be honest with yourself and know what, what, you, what your weaknesses are and do your best to, mm -hmm. to avoid it. Um, speaking of diet, one of the things that often comes up is alcohol. Mm -hmm. um, it's obviously very ubiquitous and, you know, I'm. It can be a touchy point too. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, most healthcare professionals consume alcohol, mm -hmm. uh, myself included. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, how do you. How do you talk to patients about that, or what is your thought process about, you know, alcohol in moderation? Because obviously, we know alcohol yeah. is linked to several different cancers. Yeah, I I would say I, I don't tend to be as um, restrictive as far as telling people to cut it out completely, um, it, with the exception exception of a couple of different scenarios. So if I have a patient who I know is developing significant liver injury from their alcohol <laughs> use, I tell them to cut it out. You know, um, any, any amount of alcohol, once you start having cirrhosis or scarring of the liver is not going to be helpful to you at all. That's one drink, that's two drinks, etc. So those patients I'm usually telling to cut it out completely. Now, patients that are undergoing cancer treatment, um, you know, it, it, it kind of depends on the treatment that I'm giving and how much I think it may interact or how much I think it may may cause them additional side effects that, that may be unpleasant. So um, I would say every scenario is a little bit different. As a preventative measure um, to, you know, guide patients on how much alcohol is safe to use, you know, generally, I mean, for breast cancer, for females, they say no more than one drink a day. You know, that's kind of, if you are, they say don't drink, but if you do drink, no more than one a day. So um, that's kind of what the guidelines state. I think for men, they kind of say one to two drinks. Um, it, which is kind of the moderate amount. Um, and I, I generally say that because, you know, I think if you give them, if you're more liberal to, to individuals who already have a problem, who drink four to five drinks a day and you say, oh yeah, that's, you know, that's okay. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really not, you right. know, it's not normal to drink four to five alcoholic beverages every day. It's going to catch up with you. You are going to develop some kind of uh, liver issues, whether that's fatty changes, whether that's cirrhosis, and and put you at risk of a variety of cancers as well. So um, yeah, I, I generally are in the moderation range. If I feel like a patient's on a treatment which the alcohol is going to interfere with, I tell them at least temporarily cut it out. So that's kind of how I guide them. Yeah, I think you you can't. Um, I think going telling someone who drinks a lot to not drink anything is not realistic. And right. So you have to. Right play within the rules, you know, of the person and talk right. to them about it. And, and, you know, and the one, one drink, two drink thing, you know, I learned a long time, time ago. And when I was in training, like that, I mean, that's not, you can't approach it that way. Cause you ask one person what they think one drink is versus another person. And, you know, unless it's a beer or something in a glass or something in a can or, or a bottle that you measure, you know, if one person's pour of of a drink may be very different than another person's pour. So right. it's really important to understand what when the, when they say I'm having 
one or two drinks a night, what does that really mean? Right. And so, right. you know, that's part of it. And then, um, you know, I think it's, um, it, I mean, alcohol is ubiquitous in our culture. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, you're not going to get away from it, but just trying to be as um, smart about it as you can, I think is yeah. the, is the take home message. And like you said, in certain situations, really putting the, your hammer, you know, your foot on them and saying, listen, you don't understand. This is like potentially life threatening if you continue to, you know, right. go this route. So right. yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Mm-hmm. We talked last episode about the yeah. HPV vaccine. You know, there are other vaccines out there that, um, you know, may also reduce the risk of certain cancers, you know, uh, hepatitis B vaccine. You want to touch on that, Danny, about what your thoughts are about, you know, preventing cancers using that vaccine? Yeah, I, well, kind of ubiquitous in the healthcare field that all of us are vaccinated against hepatitis B. But, um, you know, I think that it is a good example that um, we've seen a, a drastic reduction in hepatitis B infections uh, and individuals who've been vaccinated hepatitis B. I don't know all the data for all different countries and be able to spit out what what, what it with the absolute benefit of it, but I know that we've seen a, a drastic reduction in, in a lot of countries with hepatitis B infections. Hepatitis B is one of those viruses that um, can can cause a chronic infection and can lead to liver damage. It can lead to liver cancer uh, and uh, really, really have a negative impact on a patient's health. So uh, fortunately, we do have some new drugs out there uh, which are effective against hepatitis B, even hepatitis C, uh, but you don't want to get to that point. You want to uh, get vaccinated early. Yeah, I think it's just take home. I mean, we sound like broken records on yeah. some of these episodes, but just making sure you stay up to date on all of your immunizations and preventative care, I think, right. is extremely important. Um, and, you know, one of the things, obviously, being here in Florida that we deal with a lot is sun mm-hmm. exposure. Skin cancer is obviously the most common cancer in, you know, the entire population in the United States um, across men and women is non-melanoma skin cancers, mm-hmm. uh, basal cells and squamous cells. And we obviously can go into detail about, more details about that in another episode. But one of the things we should talk about is preventing skin cancer, which I think people know sunscreen is the right answer. But, mm-hmm. you know, how often, you know, I'll be honest, I don't put it on every day. But, you know, the official recommendations oh. are yeah. to wear sunscreen, even if you're just, yeah. you know, outside for, you know, a brief period of time. It's kind of it's. I, I look at it almost like dietary choices, right? You do you do what's simplest, and if you're if you're rushed, if you have to get out of the house, you you may not throw on sunscreen. You know, if you have to get to a meeting and you have five minutes for lunch, you're gonna pick up McDonald's maybe. You right. know, so it's kind of a similar uh, story with with sunscreen. I think if you don't have it right next to you or in your car, you you're not gonna apply it probably and. Um, you know, granted, if you're wearing protective clothing and you're, you're going in and out um, from your car to the building, you're not having a lot of sun exposure. But I generally, I apply myself, I apply it to my face every day, you know, because I think we get a lot of exposure being here in Florida um, from our cars too, right? Driving in the car, the left side of our face gets hit with sun a lot. But um, yeah, I, I generally do that. And then when Rick and I are on the golf course, of course, we... <laughs> lather ourselves up with some sunscreen rick a little bit more than me but you know we t- yeah I'll, i mean i'll be honest i'm only judicious about it when i'm know i'm going to be outside for an extended period yeah. whether that's golf or the pool or the beach or mm-hmm. you know any sort of out you know yard work anything like that um 
yeah. I put on sunscreen or wear protective gear. I think as I've gotten older, I've come more in the line of laziness with sunscreen where I'd yeah. rather just wear a long sleeve shirt and like a bucket hat mm -hmm. and then, and also put on sunscreen on the face. But that way, at least you don't, don't have... admit that to anymore. No, no, that's, that's a dad. It's move. a dad. That move. Is the, that... Yeah. You oh. hate on Danny's dad jokes and you're <laughs> oh, <laughs> admitting that. I can hate on dad jokes, but I can be a dad. That's I, I have two children. This is, this is totally yeah, that's... bucket hat. And he's like, has a, um, that's like, <laughs> what do you got? Uh, like a leaf blower. Oh, in his hand. oh, I've done that. Oh, I've done that. Oh, that's, that's already been happened in my house. So that's awesome. Don't you like the long sleeve SPF shirts. Oh yeah. I, I, and I have those for the beach. I always go to the yeah. beach. With and those my shirts. new one is I have even got uh, shout outs to Lululemon, a Lululemon <laughs> long sleeve with a hoodie, like a nice. He wants it to be our next. Sponsor. Like a nice, Absolutely like a nice beach shirt. It's, a, it's actually pretty sweet, <laughs> and very sun protective worthy. I mean, um, my dad wears all of that, but you know he's had melanoma twice, and he's yeah, well, fifty five. You guys are <laughs> yeah, but we can prevent melanoma, so we can. Um, I'm impressed you wear sunscreen every day, though. Is it in like a yeah, moisturizer? Also, you it's use? a moisturizer. Yeah. Okay. You want to um, you want to give a shout out to any specific brands here? I don't know. They it's either Cerave or Cerave. What what do you Cerave? Cerave. I think. Yeah. yeah. So um, it's it's one of those brands that I think is not too harsh on your skin. It's very light. It's not going to promote pimple formation, etc. Well, you have you have great skin, Danny. <laughs> thank so. you. Thank you. No. Well, did you no. pick Cerave it out yourself? Too, yeah. uh, did you pick it out yourself? I did, and actually, it's um. It has a zinc sunscreen, like zinc. The barrier. It's the barrier. The barrier. It's yeah. not an absorbent. Yeah, it's not the absorbent. Yeah, so I think that that's a probably not <laughs> the topic of this episode. But there's a huge debate yeah. in the dermatology community about what type of sunscreen is better, the barrier yeah. or the ones that get absorbed in your skin. Yeah. I yeah. used to when I was younger. I would, we always had the absorbing. Yeah. Kind, but lately, last probably five six years, I've really just primarily used the barrier. Barrier. For my skin, at least, I find it works better. Yeah. But yeah. I don't think there's any settled science on that. Yeah. But. Anything else you wanted to bring up about cancer prevention or any other things you wanted to touch base on? Yeah, I think the, the last two points we have here on our sheet are just uh, practicing. A way to just give away. Well, the audience doesn't know on. we have a sheet, Danny. It's okay. They're we not can sound, no, we can sound like we came up with it on our own. Well, we have talking points, Rick. That's talking points. Talking okay. points, yeah. Some people put those in the in the feed, you know. Ooh, that was a shot to produce a Brenna. No, yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we don't have a. Right <laughs> I mean, we Just don't have a screen in this room. Some yet. people yeah, in the description. Yeah. Some people yeah. have you know interactive links to different timestamps and other things. Wow! Wow! Feeling a little. He's stirring something up, Brenna. I'm not stirring anything. Love. No. I'm not stirring anything up. Hey, we all heard it. You brought it up first, my friend. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Take, and a actually, of, take a sip of your Dunkin' Donuts coffee. Thank you, Dunkin'. And remember, shout out to you if you sponsor us. And remember? <laughs> you don't say that often. And remember. <laughs> no. Are you reading off, this is when I reading off the outro sheet again? <laughs> he can't help himself. I'm he gets too one, hyped he, on Dunkin'. He gets one phrase in his head and he just has to keep going with it. <laughs> Oh my god! No, no, Rick. I don't have anything else to add. Okay, I didn't Sorry. think so. Yeah. So I think I think the takeaway from everything we're talking about, and you know, if you've stuck with us in this episode long enough and haven't turned it off and you know deleted it from your phone at this point, uh, I think this all can be summed up with: 
make sure you go see your primary care doctor, make sure you get routine healthcare, you know, even in the healthcare field as a physician, we, you know, I still see a primary care doctor every so often. So it's something important to do because, you know, it's, they're going to be the ones really keeping track of all the screening and the preventative measures and the counseling and everything like that is, you know, it's, um, it's, it's easy to forget and it's easy to say, oh, I don't have time for that and all, and those sort of things. But it's, it's, you know, the most important thing you can do for your health. I'm not adding anything more. That was perfect. Outro. Here we go. You want to switch flip-flop on this one? Or are you okay, comfortable with that? I can flip-flop. Okay. Go oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You ready? Thank you guys so much for coming back and joining us for another episode of Medical Minute. If you have any suggestions on things we should talk about, questions you'd like to answer, or just want to say hi, you can email us at medicalminute at csnf.us. And make sure you follow us on social media. Search Cancer Specialists of North Florida on Facebook and underscore CSNF on Twitter and Instagram. And as always, we appreciate you giving us a few minutes of your time and hope you learned something today. I know Rick did. And remember, when it comes to your health, stay informed. Ask questions. And and tune tune in in next time. time. Bye, guys. (laughs) I'm on it. I'm on it today. (laughs)